our monthly gathering. Uh, my name is Sam, and uh, I'm one of the leaders here of this ministry. And uh, for us to do these monthly gatherings, it's a tremendous privilege and honor for us to uh, call the region together, uh, people from different churches, uh, from different cities, different states, and to gather for no other reason except to be in the presence of God. Amen? So we don't gather around uh, a worship team. We don't gather around a personality. We don't gather around a gifting. We don't gather to be entertained, but we gather around the manifest presence of God. And what we long for is to encounter him in a fresh way. Amen? And just even during worship, I was just really so stirred because I don't know what 2019 was like for you personally, but I mean, for us as a ministry, it was a, a significant year. It was a uh, breakthrough year. We did a conference like Kevin just shared, and, and it was amazing. But the thing that was really stirring in my heart during worship is I don't want to head into the new year with last year's anointing. I don't want to head into the new year with, with last year's, you know, just blessings. But I want a fresh touch for the, for the new year, for the new decade. Amen. And I really feel like I just, it was just so stirred in worship and even just the longing on the inside of me where I said, God, how can we go into the new year? How can we have vision for the new decade? How can we be, do all these different things with last year's anointing? And I just had this heart where I want a fresh touch. Amen. I believe the reason why you're here tonight is because you want a fresh encounter with God. Because we, well, like I said, we're not here to, for, to be entertained. There, there's the movies for that, right? We're not here just to have a good time. Uh, there's other places for that, right? I mean, I, in faith, I believe this is a good time. Amen? Anyone? All right, thanks, God. That was a pity, you know. But, but all I'm trying to say is at the end of the day, I want a fresh touch from God. I want a fresh encounter. I want a fresh anointing for this year. And, and normally we don't start like this or anything like that, but I want us to go back right into it and just asking God, just aligning ourselves once again of why we really came. Maybe you came because your friend brought you. Maybe you, you were, you know, uh, deceived into coming, right? But whatever it is, I believe the reason why you're here is because you're longing and hungering for the, for the reality of God. You know, a couple weeks ago I was talking to... Uh, one of my former youth group students. My former youth group student is 28 years old. That goes to show how old I am, right? But I was a young youth pastor, okay, amen? But, but we were just talking about, you know, what it was like for us growing up at, at our home church in Bergen County, and we would have youth group service every Friday night for junior high, high school, college students, and we would go to like 11 p.m. easy. Like, no one cared about how long it was going. No one cared about scheduling or platform or social media. I mean, we didn't even have those things, you know? But what we were hungering for was the presence of God. So we would go to, like, 11 p.m., and parents weren't even, like, stressing or waiting outside because they, too, were going deep in the presence of God themselves. So sometimes it was the kids that ended up waiting for their parents, even though we went past 11 o'clock every Friday night. Sometimes the, the, our worship service was so powerful, so intense, the presence of God was so real, so thick, that parents would join us, you know? And we were just longing for that. And we're just talking and reminiscing about those days when, man, all we cared about was the presence of God. 
the week after that, I, I was talking with my old youth pastor, and we were talking about the same old thing, where, check this out, back in the day, they would meet in this warehouse because the church was being renovated, and they would just go so hard to the presence of God, the worship was so loud that drunk people walked in thinking it was a party. I mean, think about that, but it's a church service on a Friday night at church, but because it was in a warehouse, it's like, yo, what's going on? It's like, nah, I'm out, you know? But as I was talking about these stories, I realized what I was longing for wasn't the good old days. It wasn't, man, the good old days of youth group. The, nah, what I was longing for was the manifest presence of God and to encounter him like that today. I want you to know the reason why we call people together isn't for a good time. It's so that we could encounter God. And that's what I'm hungering for. That's what I'm longing for. And, and there's something about what God deposited in me then that I believe God wants to give birth to now. And I want to invite every single one of you here into that new thing that God wants to do. In Isaiah chapter 43, it says, forget the former things. See, I'm doing a new thing. Did you know that God doesn't do the next thing? He always does a new thing. The ways of the world is about the next thing. Man, what's the next big wave? What's the next big, you know, hit? Whatever it might be. But God's not trying to do the next thing. He's about to do a new thing. And I believe that new thing is always birthed in the manifest presence of God. And it's when people camp not around a leader, once again, a personality, a gifting, a nice song, but when they camp around the presence of God. That's what it is. And I think Danny was talking about Exodus 33 and just longing for the presence of God, the glory of God. And I believe God wants us to experience that today. Amen? If you read about the Israelites, they're traveling through the wilderness, but it's the cloud by day, fire by night. But here's the thing. They lived in an inferior covenant than we do today because Jesus didn't die yet. But yet they were in the manifest presence of God all the time. But I believe God wants to do that for us today. Right? This isn't even my message right now. Right? I don't even know what my message is going to be. JK, kind of, I don't know, right? But I just wanted to begin with us saying, God, I want a fresh touch and encounter and an anointing for the new year. I don't want to go into it based on what I experienced in the past. As great as it is, we give glory to God for that. But once again, God wants to do a new thing right now. So can I invite you to stand right back on your feet? And we're just simply going to ask for ourselves in this moment that God would give us a fresh touch right now. That he would give us a fresh anointing. I can't go into 2020 with what God did in 2019. But God wants to do a new thing. So can we lift our voices once again just right now and say, God, I need a fresh touch right now. I want a fresh filling right now. God, we need a fresh encounter right now. Lord, we can't go into the new year with last year's gifting, anointing, whatever. We want the new thing now. A fresh filling, a fresh touch, God. Lord, I pray even right now for a fresh hunger to rise up in the hearts of your people, Lord. That we would long for the manifest presence. That we won't look to the good old days. But Lord, I pray that you would do that today, in this moment, in this hour. Your word says we go from glory to glory, strength to strength, faith to faith. So the best days, Lord, aren't behind us. It's ahead of us in Jesus' name. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We need that fresh touch right now, that fresh encounter. Fill us, Lord.
We're hungry for you. We're longing for you, oh God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. God, we just give you praise and thanks for the new thing that you're doing. Your word says to us in Isaiah 42, don't you see it? Don't you perceive it? I am doing a new thing. And God, we don't want to be a part of the new thing carrying yesterday's blessing, last year's anointing. God, we need a fresh touch, a fresh filling, a new encounter. We long for that, oh God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We want the fire. We want the fire. Come on, just make that your prayer right now. God, we want the fire of God. We want the fire of God. I want you to know that if you've been birthed in fire, smoke won't do. If you've been birthed in fire, heat won't do. Because you know what it's like to be on fire for God. God, we want that right now, Lord. We want the fire, the fresh fire of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, the fresh fire. God, smoke won't do. Heat won't do. We must have the fire of God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. But I give you praise and thanks for all the people you brought here tonight. Lord, I thank you that they're not here by accident. But, Lord, they're here on purpose. They're here not to be entertained, but to have an encounter. They're not here for a good time. They're here to be filled. So, Holy Spirit, we give you this time. Open up our ears and our hearts. We thank you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give a hand one more time to the Lord, and you may be seated. You guys can be seated. Amen. I, I'm, I want more of God. Amen. I, I'm hungry for God. I'm longing for God. So in 2020, right, it's, I don't know how to like transition, right? I'm just acting like nothing happened. In 2020, you know, uh, one of my personal goals for myself, and I'm trying to recruit you to join me in it, is to read Proverbs every single day. That's my goal for 2020. I want to read Proverbs every single day. I don't need to read the whole book. One chapter is enough for me, amen. But I really want to dive into it all year long because here's the thing that I realized, that we live in the information age where there's plenty of information, there's plenty of knowledge. We could Google anything we want and know immediately what we're trying to find out. But in the midst of that, what's rare is wisdom. Right? There's so much information at our fingertips, literally, because of our smartphones, right? And we don't even need to use our fingertips now. We just say, hey, Siri, right? I hope I didn't activate anyone's phone. And we can literally find out whatever we want. I, I saw this meme the other day of this guy on Instagram, right? I'm off Instagram, but I was on pursuits to post, so, you know, God forgives me for that one. But on this meme, it's basically the husband whispering to his wife, and the wife says, why are you whispering? I can't hear you. And he says, because I don't want Mark Zuckerberg to hear me on Facebook. The wife laughed, the husband laughed, Siri laughed, and Alexa laughed. Right? All that to say that that's kind of the times we're living in. 
And because of that, I feel like what we really need in this hour and in this moment and this generation are people of wisdom. You know, wisdom isn't defined by your age or how old you are or what you've experienced, but what is it based on? The fear of the Lord. Right? Proverbs 10, verse 9 says that, or, or chapter 9, verse 10 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And I believe God wants to raise up people who have wisdom and one of the markers are, of wisdom is your ability to overlook offense, right? So Proverbs chapter 19, verse 11, it says, A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. I believe that's so important because along with the information age, wisdom being rare, we also have offense at its all-time high. And people are so easily offended by anything and everything. And like, you could be wearing color red just because you are, and they're like, you must hate the color blue then. It's like, no, it's just red, and they're offended. I mean, that's just kind of the time we're living in. But I believe God wants to take us to a place where we're able to overcome offense. Because this is what I truly believe, that in 2020, God is doing a new thing, He's getting people ready and prepared to be used by God like never before. But I believe in order for us to be used and be ready to be used is to let go of our offenses. It's to let go of them. Oftentimes the offenses we carry weren't even big things. I mean, some of us, it might be traumatic, it might be huge, but oftentimes the offenses that we've experienced in life are like a splinter. I mean, a splinter doesn't make you go to the ER, right? unless it's like a rod in your eye, you know? But most splinters, we're not like in pain, we're not on the ground, shaking, having a seizure and stuff like that, but simply a splinter. But the thing about a splinter is that if it goes untreated for too long, it festers and gets infected, and I could slightly brush your arm by accident, but you'll, you'll react in that kind of way because why? It's been festering too long, are you with me? And oftentimes, I believe the offenses that we've been carrying isn't like a dramatic thing, but something that we haven't let go of yet. And I believe if we're able to come to a place, and that's why I really felt led to speak this message to begin the new year with, is to let go of our offenses so that we could be ready to be used by God in the upcoming year. Because if, if you won't get offended in one season, God can use you in the next. But too many people are carrying offenses. And I, by the time we leave tonight, I believe there are going to be people who leave in freedom, amen? There are going to be people who, are, who leave filled with the Holy Spirit. But even with this mindset, this mentality, this uh, you know, perseverance to be unoffendable in the new decade, to be unoffendable. And it starts with us laying down our offenses. The thing about life is that because we deal with imperfect people all around us, I look at the person next to you like they're imperfect, right? Because they're looking at you the same way because you're imperfect too, amen? Because we're living with imperfect people, it's, we're bound to offend one another in the process. But here's the thing, us following God will also lead to offense too. But you read any of the stories in the Gospels where Jesus is, is sometimes straight up a savage. I mean, think about it. Jesus, you know, he's pictured as this nice, hippie, loves all. But, yo, he doesn't make sense. He's crazy. You know, and I mean that in a reverent way, just so you know. 
But think about it. In one of the stories, the Syrophoenician woman comes to Jesus with the tremendous need of a touch from God for a miracle. And he says, Jesus, we need you to heal our family. We need a touch from God. We need an encounter. We're desperate for you. And what does Jesus say? Man, we don't waste bread to dogs. Now think about this for a moment. Jesus is basically calling this woman a dog. Some of you guys are looking at me like, no, Jesus, my Jesus would never do that. No, he did, right? Go read your Bible, okay? But think about that for a moment. Jesus is basically calling this woman a dog. I mean, if I'm the child in need and Jesus calls my mama, they might hold me back, right? But what does the woman respond by saying? She goes on to say, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall off the table. And at that, what does Jesus say? I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. I think part of us having faith that overcomes offense is to have hunger that's greater than our pride. Oftentimes we're too prideful to say we need God. Or God doesn't do things the way we wanted to, so we stop pursuing him in the same way. But this woman's hunger is greater than her pride because she has faith. All right, like I said, I want to be all about Proverbs in 2020. One of my other favorite Proverbs, I'll read it to you right now. It's found in chapter 27, verse 7. And this is what it says. It's, it's in my top 10 list. Right? I don't have a top 10 list, but if I did, it would be in it. But it says this, One who is full loathes honey from the comb, but to the hungry, even what is bitter tastes sweet. What does that say? That if you're truly hungry, even responses like that that would offend us normally, we're able to look beyond it because even what is bitter tastes sweet to those who are hungry, who are able to overcome offense. Does that make sense? One of the another characteristics that's found in the book of Proverbs is if you rebuke a fool, they'll hate you. But if you rebuke someone who's wise, they'll love you. Right? I know who's wise based on how they react to my rebuke. Amen. But that's what it's saying, that if you're truly hungry for the things of God, you're able to go beyond what God isn't doing based on your timetable, based on what you thought would happen, and are still able to go through it quickly. So I want to say this, offense is an event, but offended is a decision. Offense is what you experience. Because like I said, we live with imperfect people. Sometimes Jesus will say things to test our faith. It doesn't make sense. But offense is an event. All of us have experienced it before, but offended is a decision we choose to make. And I believe if we're going to be used by God in what he's about to do in this year, we have to let go of some of these things. It's time that we let them go, amen? It's getting in the way too much. And the reason why is because the purpose that God has for us is too great for us to remain petty. It's too great for us to remain small, to be bitter, to be angry, whatever. And, and I feel challenged myself to that because I understand what my role and assignment is for this region. And, and, and I'll be honest, I, I'm really petty. Right? Sometimes I'm not even Christian, you know, like based on... Anyways, you know, I don't want you to not come anymore, so... But I realize, man, the purpose that God has 
for me to play. I'm not saying it because I'm like this amazing whatever, but I just understand I have to serve the region. I have to serve the churches. I have to serve the leaders. And the only way I can do that is if I choose to be unoffendable. So I'm in process too. Don't bring it up like Pastor Sam. I'll be offended, you know. But we're in process because we need to let them go so that we could be used by God. So turn with me to John, or, or I'm sorry, Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. We're going to read from verse 11. And and I'm just painting a context of what it's like to follow God. Because like I said, you're going to face offenses from other people and even God himself. But this is the context. Luke 7, verse 11 says, Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him, As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the buyer they were carrying him on, and the bearer stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. The news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. John's disciples told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, Those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Other translations say, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Because like I said, following Jesus leads to offense. And I've been saying to us all night that offense is a common human experience. I would like to think that I've grown up and I'm less offendable than I I am today than I was in the past. Because I remember in the past, whenever I would meet non-Asian people, they would ask me, you know, where are you from? And I would say, oh, you know, I'm from Korea. And they would say north or south. Have you ever experienced that before? Or if you're Korean? And I would be so offended. I'd be like, where were you the last five decades of human history, bro? Like, what do you mean? But I'm more Christ-like now, amen? So we could experience different levels of offense. But if I'm honest, the greatest offense I felt was betrayal from a loved one. 
But here's the thing. When I experienced that, I didn't feel so much offense from the person who betrayed me, but from God. And I would say, God, why did you allow me to experience and go through this experience? Why did you allow me to feel this pain? Why would you let me do this? Because I felt like I did all the right things, and yet still offense came from another person, and I felt offended even from God. Because I felt like he let me down. He wasn't doing what I thought he would do. So if that's the case, I wonder then what it's like for John the Baptist in this story. For us to truly understand what he's going through and experiencing, we have to look back on his entire life story. So we just recently celebrated Christmas. Jesus has the goat of all births, amen, right? But right before Jesus was born, there was another supernatural, miraculous birth, and it was of his cousin, John the Baptist. His parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were old in age, they were barren, weren't able to have kids, but before Gabriel visited Mary, check this out, he first visited Elizabeth and Zechariah to say that God is answering your prayer, you're about to have a son, and this son isn't just a regular baby, he's the voice crying out in the wilderness, preparing the way for Jesus Christ. So the Bible tells us that even from the womb, John was filled with the Holy Spirit. That's who John the Baptist is. So later on, when Mary gets the visitation, she ends up getting pregnant. Elizabeth visits Mary, both pregnant supernaturally. And John the Baptist, in his mother's womb, leaps for joy and leads to this prophetic moment. All that to say John is anointed, and even as a baby in the womb, he recognizes who Jesus is. Are you with me? The time comes when John is born, and the Bible says that there was favor on his life, that there was the hand of God was on him, so much so that people around the neighborhood, because they heard the miracle, they heard the story, they wondered how amazing is this baby going to be? They thought that to themselves about this child. So John grows up, he goes to the wilderness, he lives this radical lifestyle, and he starts ministry. He steps into his calling, he steps into his identity, and he starts preaching repentance for the kingdom of God is at hand. Are you with me? That's so powerful because what's the message Jesus starts preaching? The same thing John was preaching. So John the Baptist, he's preaching in the middle of the wilderness, but yet people from all over the region are willing to come to not only hear him speak, but to be baptized by him. Think about it. They're not coming because the parking's easy. It's easy to get there. They're going to a desert. To hear this crazy guy that combs his hair with like camel stuff, he eats locusts, he's weird. But yet he's so anointed, so on fire, people are coming in droves, they're getting saved, they're getting baptized. And check this out, he's so anointed, he's so gifted, he's so called, his ministry's booming so much, people are now wondering to themselves, I think that might be the Messiah. Think about it, they're like, have you heard John the Baptist? You download the latest podcast. Listen to it. Like, really listen to it. I think he might be the Messiah. But this is what makes John the Baptist the man. People are saying these things about him. But you know what he says? You guys have it all wrong. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. I'm simply playing a role. I baptize you in water, but the one who is to come after me will baptize you in the spirit and with fire. Because John the Baptist knew his role. He knew his purpose. He knew his assignment. 
I think that's so different than me. If I was John the Baptist and my ministry is growing, right, pursuit Jerusalem, right, and people are coming from all over and people are like, yo, I think Sam might be the Messiah. At first, I'm like, guys, no, man. I'm just a voice in the wilderness. Two weeks later, it's getting to my head. You know, I have staff meeting with Kevin and Daniel. I'm like, yo, I think I might be the Messiah. We got to change things up, right? Forget revival or bust. Messiah is me, okay? Right? We start doing conferences, and the tagline is, I might be Messiah. You decide, you know? We kind of leave it like a hanger. It will go to my head. But once again, John the Baptist knew his role. He knew his identity. He knew his assignment that he was just preparing the way for someone else who is to come. That's why later after Jesus shows up and John's ministry is growing smaller and his followers are now Jesus' followers, people ask him, yo, doesn't it upset you that his ministry is growing and yours is shrinking? And what does John the Baptist say? John chapter 3, verse 30. The famous verse, he must increase, I must decrease. This is the way it's supposed to go. Even when, check this out, even when John the Baptist baptizes Jesus and he comes out, you know the story, right? It says that uh, uh, the Holy Spirit, like a dove, descends upon Jesus and voice says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. If you look in the Gospels, You know how we know the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus like a dove? Because John saw it with his physical eyes. But think about it. How anointed are you that you could see the Holy Spirit coming like a dove and landing on a person? That's who John the Baptist is. I mean, check this out. Even the declaration he makes when he sees Jesus first coming towards him is, here comes the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. I'm saying all of this so that you would understand that if anyone should have known who Jesus really was, it should have been John. Because track with me. He knew it from the womb. He knew his role and assignment. When he saw Jesus, he says, that's the Lamb of God. He heard the voice. He saw the dove. And yet somewhere along the way, as he's continually doing his purpose, living it out, standing for righteousness, he preaches against sin of the king, and he ends up getting thrown in jail. And we don't know how long he's been in jail, but he eventually reaches a place where he's weary and now doubtful of who Jesus is. But look at the context of what's happening. Jesus is raising someone from the dead. And everyone is so amazed, so shocked, They're like, God has sent a prophet to help his people. They're all filled with awe and wonder. But yet Jesus' own relative is in a jail cell wondering, what did I give my life for? Have you ever been there before? I think oftentimes the hardest thing isn't in waiting for God, but when that waiting has an indefinite timeline. And if God said, yo, I want you to be single for five more years, it's like, all right, I I." I can do it because I see the light at the end of the tunnel. But if God, I think this example is too real right now, right? But if God says, I want you to be married, and I'm like, for how long, God? Right? I'm years old, you know? But that's the thing. It's when the waiting gets so long and we don't see the light at the end of the tunnel, it's easy for us to get offended especially when he's doing miracles for someone else. 
And think about it. Let's say your best friend's experiencing all this breakthrough and you're in a season of in the, being in the valley. Like, let's be real. Won't you, will you be offended or discouraged or maybe be like, maybe there's something wrong with me. That's basically where John the Baptist is so much so that he has to get his disciples to go find Jesus to ask him, are you the one we've been waiting for? Are you the Christ? Or is someone else coming? And I think John the Baptist really wants to know because he was there from the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Now, how did Jesus begin his ministry? You know, he had that moment with John the Baptist. But the first thing he kind of says is in Luke chapter 4, he busts open a scroll from Isaiah, and he says that the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. And he goes on to say that he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, bring freedom for prisoners, open the eyes of the blind, set the captives free, proclaim the favor of the Lord. That's what Jesus said he came to do. Are you following me? But yet John the Baptist is still a captive and still a prisoner. Jesus, you're not even doing what you said you would do. In that moment, injustice was prevailing, but the kingdom was still happening. So my question is, can you look over what Jesus isn't doing for you? Can you get over that offense to see what he's really up to? Because I'm telling you, God wants to use you in this region, amen? But we can't focus on what he isn't doing. We have to have eyes of faith to go beyond the offense to be a part of what he wants to do. But oftentimes it's hard. because I, I know what it's like, but God is wanting to take us to that place. You can't have a theology based on what didn't happen. In my life, I've seen God do amazing things. Danny just shared an amazing testimony of healing. But our team has testimonies like that you know, at events, at retreats in the streets, at restaurants. You know, sometimes I don't even want to see healing, but God just does it, you know? But can I be real and honest? Earlier this year, my uncle passed away from cancer. And he's the uncle I've been working for the last four to five years. And I've been praying and contending for healings because I've seen them before. And yet when it's my own family, God, you're going to ignore me? Let's just be real and honest for a moment. But I could allow my theology based on what didn't happen. Oh, I guess God doesn't heal then. I guess he isn't as good as I thought he was. But you know what? I've made a decision in my life where my faith and my theology isn't based on my circumstances, but on his word. I refuse to sacrifice the character of God and the goodness of God on the altar of my disappointment. Oftentimes we blame God because we need a justification for what didn't happen. I mean, think about it. I mean, even think about the people out in the world. When something good happens, they're like, yo, the universe has my back. As soon as disaster strikes, it's God's fault. Like, what? Can you at least be consistent? But so often we blame God because we just want a, a, an excuse or whatever. But I want to have a theology that isn't tainted by my offense or my experiences, but simply on the word of God. And the only way to get there is by overcoming our offense. So finally, John the Baptist's disciples, they get to Jesus and they ask the question that is burning on John's heart. And they say, hey, are you the one who is to come? Or is someone or is another one going to be the Christ? 
And they asked him this genuine question from a desperate place, right? But look at Jesus' response. He says, tell them what you see. But the question is simply a yes or no answer, amen? Like, are you the one? Yes or no. But Jesus is like, tell them what you see. Jesus, he can't see anything because he's behind bars. And Jesus talks about all these different things that he's doing, and he ends it by saying this, blessed is he who does not stumble on account of me. Once again, another translation. is blessed is he who's not offended by me. And it's simply us coming to a place where am I willing to look past the offense that's in front of me to really have faith? And I believe it's because the only way we're truly going to know God and understand and comprehend God is by faith and faith alone. Because like I said, following Jesus will avenge you. It won't make sense to you. Even in John chapter 6, Jesus' ministry is growing, it's booming, and he has this amazing teaching. Yo, I am the bread of life. Oh, I like that teaching. Whoever feasts from what I give them will never grow hungry. I satisfy. And I'm like, amen, Jesus. Preach on, brother. Preach on, Lord. And then he keeps on going, and it's like, I am the bread, so you got to eat my flesh. Like, say, what? Not only do you have to eat my flesh because I'm the bread, you have to drink my blood as well. And the Bible says in John chapter 6, people are like, yo, they start looking at each other. It's like, yo, what is this? I signed up to be a Christian, not a cannibal. And the Bible says that they start leaving and walking away. And Jesus himself knows what he's saying. And he even asks the crowd, does this offend you? And then they start leaving one by one by one by one. But here's the thing. Jesus isn't like, yo, yo, wait, wait, don't go. What I really mean is communion, guys. I mean, it's figurative. It's cracker and grape juice. Chill, relax, come back. No, but Jesus is willing to let them go and not even explain himself. He knows it's offensive. And yet the only people that remain are his 12 disciples. And he turns to them in that moment and he asks them, are you two going to leave? And I could imagine Peter with this big sigh. <sighs> Where else can we go? You alone have the word of life. I believe the millennial 2020 translation is like, bro, I want to leave, but I got nowhere else to go. That's what Peter is saying, because once again, the only way you'll truly know God is through faith. And it takes faith to overcome offense. You're going to know God by faith or not at all. In Romans chapter 9, verse 33, Apostle Paul quotes a scripture in Isaiah. And this is what he says. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be Put to shame. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6, Peter now quotes the same exact verse from Isaiah, but this is how he writes it. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Did you catch it? 
Paul looks at the same verse that Peter's looking at in Isaiah. But Paul writes it as Jesus being a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Peter reads the same exact verse, but he writes it as a chosen and precious cornerstone. So the question is, which is it then? They look at the same exact verse. They describe it completely different. So is Jesus the rock of stumbling and the rock of offense, or is he the precious and cornerstone? And the answer is yes. Like what? Which one is he? Yes. Because that simply means Jesus isn't one or the other. He's both at this very same time. He's both at the same time. The same rock of offense is also the the precious and cornerstone. I mean, that's the type of thing that Jesus does, right? Like I said, Jesus says offensive things. And one of the offensive things that Jesus says to me, I don't know if it's offensive as much as it's confusing. And he says this, you either fall on the rock and are broken, or the rock falls on you and you're crushed. Have you ever read that before in the Gospels? And I'm like, Jesus, is there a third option that involves no falling or breaking or crushing where I'm just like chilling, I'm laying down? But he says you either fall on the rock and are broken, or the rock falls on you and you're crushed. I I think that's what it's like following Jesus. You're going to face offense. Things aren't going to go the way you want it to. You will have brokenness in your life. But will you choose to still be unoffendable as you follow him? As you deal with other people? Now the thing about the story of John the Baptist is that it doesn't end in a nice way. I wish it does. Because we know other stories in the Bible, right? Daniel's thrown into the lion's den, but he comes out unscathed. If you read the story, it's powerful because the first person who comes to check on Daniel is the king who put him in there. And Daniel comes like, yo, I'm good. And they're like, oh my gosh, God is amazing. But John the Baptist doesn't have that kind of moment. Instead, his head gets chopped off later. And I'm like, "Is, is, is that... Faith? Is that what it means to really follow Jesus? And it made me wonder, can it be said that John the Baptist finished well? Now, I know all of us in here are relatively young. Like, we're not near the finish line. But I think about finishing well. You know, a, a, a plug. Go listen to November's message. Anyways, uh, But I think about finishing well because as a team, we've been wrestling and wondering, like, what good is revival if we don't finish well? But finishing well is something that we've been thinking about and talking about. And I wonder, did John the Baptist finish well? I mean, it didn't end pretty because he got his head chopped off. But did he finish well? Because look at the way Paul describes finishing well. He's writing his final letter, and this is what he says. I'm being poured out like a drink. My time is coming up, but I fought the good fight. I'm finishing the race. But Paul writes that from jail. He's been abandoned, and he himself is about to be martyred as well. But that's how he describes finishing well. 
I mean, that's so different than the way I would describe finishing well. Finishing well for me is when pursuit blows up. We have conference at the Madison Square Garden. I think I'm prophesying right now, right? You know, I have a best-selling book, right? You ever see like Joel Osteen's book? He's like a big smile. That's me, you know? But because like I'm a live in the 21st century, it's a holographic uh, book cover, you know? For me, that's what finishing well looks like, but that's not how finishing well is described in the Bible. It's what Paul described. And I think that tells us that even in the midst of all these circumstances, if you choose to be unoffendable to the end, that's finishing well. That's what finishing well looks like. Because I really wrestle with even Paul's story, you know. Because he understands that his time is coming up. He's about to die. But yo, but if I've been in prison before, and I've worshipped my way out of prison, you know the story, right? When he's in jail with Silas, and they're worshipping God late at night, an earthquake comes, an angel sets him free. But not only are they free, it leads to revival. Because the guard gets saved, his entire family. If I've experienced that before, and God's not setting me free, I'm like, yo, God, what's going on? Because I know what you've done for me in the past. Why won't you do that now? But Paul was okay with it not happening again, even though that was his experience. Are you with me? But yet Paul is still able to be unoffended and understand what God is doing. Man, I want to have that kind of faith. So I think the main question in the midst of all of this is Jesus enough. Is Jesus enough when you're in the midst of a circumstance or situation that has no explanation, that doesn't make sense, everyone else seems to be experiencing the favor of God and you find yourself feeling like you're in a prison. And he's not answering the prayer you've been praying for years and years and decades even. The question is, is Jesus enough? I'll be honest, there are times when I know that's true, but yo, it doesn't feel true. And I have to talk and believe and pray and worship my way where I want that to be my reality. That Jesus is enough. Because here's the thing, Jesus plus nothing still equals everything. And when we choose to be unoffendable, that could truly be our testimony. Now, like I said, John's story ends with his head getting chopped off. He doesn't see the fullness of the cross and whatever. But Jesus would eventually take John's place in a jail cell as well. And he will take his place and all of our places on the cross to ultimately show us the ultimate goodness. And here's the thing that I love about Jesus is that Jesus knows what it's like to experience offense while, being, while not being offended. Jesus experienced it. I mean, he was wrongfully, innocently put on a cross and died for someone else's sins. Are you with me? So Jesus knows what it's like to experience offense, but yet he remained unoffended. He wasn't offended. How do we know this? Because when Jesus is on the cross in Matthew chapter 27, he's thirsty, so they bring him a drink, a mixture of gall and wine. And the Bible says that Jesus tasted it, but he refused to drink it, and he spat it out. 
He put something bitter in his mouth, but he didn't drink it and make it a part of him. Instead, he spit it out. All that to say that in that moment, Jesus chose to remain unoffended. Because the thing about that drink of the mixture of wine and gall, it was, it was oftentimes to take the easy way out. People would take that either to numb the pain or to be poisoned to end their experience on the cross quickly. But Jesus is saying, I'm not going to take the easy way out. I'm not going to numb the pain. I'm not going to stuff the pain. I'm going to experience the pain while still being unoffended. I think that's what it means to blessed, be, uh, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I think that's what Jesus is experiencing. And I think for all of us here, like I said, we know what it's like to experience offense and I'm sure all of us here knows what it's like to be offended and stay offended and even protect that offense. How do I know? Because we're defensive. He's like, yo, are you, like, why are you still holding? Like, you don't understand what they put me through. But I believe it's time for us to lay those things down. So I want to close with this. Going back to that verse in Isaiah that Paul and Peter both quote, Paul says, Jesus is the stumbling stone, the rock of offense. Peter says that he is the precious and uh, chosen cornerstone. They see it differently, but it ends the same. Because both of them describe it as this. I'll read it to you. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. That's what it says in Romans. In 1 Peter it says, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. I don't know what God feels like to you in the season you're in. Some of you might be in a season of favor where it's like, yo, he's the precious cornerstone. I'm just building on blessing, on blessing, on blessing. Others of you might be in a place where Jesus feels like that rock of offense. But here's the thing. If you trust in him, if you believe in him, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're feeling, no matter what you're facing, the end result is this. He won't put you to shame. He won't put you to shame. And I think some of us, our issues, we can't, we're so afraid to be honest with God. You know, God won't be offended by your offense, amen? Some of us just need to be honest and be like, God, this doesn't make sense. I mean, he might give you an answer you won't like, but how many of you know it's for our freedom? And I believe tonight, God wants us to be able to come to him with our disappointments, with our hurts, with our offenses, maybe from other people. Because sometimes when we're offended by other people, we blame God for it, right? Others of us have offense that we've been carrying from God because of what he hasn't done yet. Or maybe he just won't do. But I believe tonight God wants to start off the new year and the new decade from a place where we're no longer holding on to these offenses, nursing these pains, this bitterness, but are willing to choose to lay it down because it's time to let it go. It's time for that, not just a fresh encounter, but a fresh start. Amen. And tonight we simply want to create an altar where we're choosing to say as a prophetic act, as an action before the Lord. Because here's the thing. Physical action leads to spiritual breakthrough. Did you know that? Physical action leads to spiritual breakthrough. In the Old Testament, when Moses' hands are up and the Israelites are battling the enemy, they have victory. But Moses gets tired 
But even when someone else props his arms up, there's still victory, right? Because physical action done in obedience releases spiritual breakthrough. And we could say, I'm just going to do it in my heart. But how many of you know that when you act on it, there's an anointing on it? Because why? Faith is dead without thinking or actions. And I believe we simply want to create a time where we create an altar where we're choosing to be real and honest and let them go. Can I say this? At pursuit, you're not going to be judged. At pursuit, it's a safe place where you could be real, you could be honest, you can be raw, you could be as messy as you need to be. Because, yo, we're all needing a fresh touch from God. I would rather look like a fool and be a mess and be free than be proper and still bounded. And tonight, we're simply going to make room where we let go of things that we've been holding on to for so long. Offenses from other people. Offenses from God. And we're going to choose to lay them down and say, God, I want to be unoffendable so I can be used by you. And after that, I believe God wants to fill us with his presence. Because the offenses we've been carrying has been taking up too much room that actually belongs to the Holy Spirit. But we're just simply going to make time for God to do whatever he needs to do and for us to really experience him in a deeper way. I mean, there's going to be freedom, there's going to be uh, healing, and there's going to be a filling, amen. So Father God, I thank you tonight for what you're doing in our midst. And Lord, I thank you that in the new year, it's time for us to let go of the things that we've been holding on to for so long. God, it's been too long and it's simply been robbing us of the things that you have for us and Lord, the truth is for some of us, God, you are the stumbling stone. You are the rock of offense. For others of us, you are the precious and chosen cornerstone. But wherever we are, your word tells us that if we simply trust and believe in you, you won't put us to shame. God, you won't put us to shame. So Father God, I pray right now that you would pinpoint, put your finger on the thing that we need to let go of tonight so that we could be free, so that we could be healed, so that we could be filled with more of your presence. If God is speaking to you and you know you need to just respond to the Lord, I want to invite you to simply come up to the front here at the altar and you could come, you could stand, you can kneel, you could do whatever. But I just want you to come right now and not hesitate because it's time for us to let go of these things that we've been holding on to for too long. Come on, there's people coming already. Don't be shy. Don't be afraid. This is your night of freedom. And if you come, come all the way to the front. There's going to be plenty of space and time for people from all over to simply encounter and get right with God. So, Lord, we're laying down our defenses that we've been carrying from our parents we're laying down the offenses we've been carrying from our siblings, from our family, from our friends. I feel like there's people in here where you've been carrying offenses from leaders, pastors who've done you wrong. And I believe it's time for us to let those things go. So God, we choose to let go of those offenses that we've experienced from leaders, from pastors, maybe even from mentor figures, older brothers, older sisters that we felt like we could have trusted, that we felt like we should have been able to look up to, and yet they've offended us. Or rather, we've chosen to be offended. <coughs> and I feel like there's others of us that need to let go of the offenses that we've been carrying from God. 
that the story of John the Baptist is too real. It's too relevant, and it's time for us to let those things go. I feel like there's still more people that just simply need to come and respond tonight. And like I said, this is your night of freedom. This is your night of healing. God, I pray right now for your healing touch to come. I want to invite the, the staff to come and lay hands on people right now. It's time for healing to come. God, I just pray right now for your healing presence and touch to be released in this moment. For the things that have hurt us, for the things that have scarred us, for the things that have wounded us. God, I thank you right now that those things don't define us in Jesus' name. We're asking, Lord, for breakthrough in our hearts. But we let go of these offenses right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit.